Hello everyone, welcome to a new episode of the Sunrise on the Inside podcast, a space where we share inspiring interviews and stories from thoughtful leaders in business, health and wellness, entrepreneurship and sports. Here we talk about tools, habits, routines and tactics they use that help them feel calm, revived and rebalanced whenever they face challenges in life. I'm your host, Nico Estrella, a serial entrepreneur, former professional soccer player and co-founder of WACU. Welcome to the third episode of the Sunrise on the Inside podcast. Today's episode was very fun to record and very touching as well. My guest today is Emily Cantor. She is the second generation co-owner and CEO of Cambridge Naturals, a 47-year-old natural wellness retailer with two locations in Cambridge and Boston. Originally from the Boston area, Emily spent several formative years in Portland, Oregon, with her now husband and fellow co-owner, Caleb. While in Portland, she received her MBA from Bainbridge Graduate Institute. She serves on the board of directors of the Independent Natural Foods Retail Association, Infra, and is an advisor to several organizations, including Real Pickles, Protect Our Breasts, and Find Way Ventures. Emily is a leader who I admire a lot, and in today's episode, we talk about business as a force for change, and Emily demonstrates a lot of courage as she opens up about her challenging fertility journey and how to overcome grief, feelings of shame, and difficult emotions using the healing power of opening up to others. I hope you enjoy this episode as much as I enjoyed it myself. Hello, hello, everyone. Emily, welcome to the show. Hello, thank you so much for having me. I am super excited to have Emily here in the podcast. I'm not sure, if, I think we've told this a bunch of times, but for the people that who doesn't know, Cambridge Naturals, it's, it's a natural product store here in, in Cambridge. It's an awesome store, we love it. And it was the first store where WAP was ever sold. Back then, we started working together in 2017, is it right? I think so, yeah. I think maybe we were one of your first retail locations. You were the very first one. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. I am very excited to have Emily Emily here. She's a very uh, good friend of Waku, a very good friend of us, me and Juan. Uh, so welcome, Emily. Thank you so much, Nico. It's really a pleasure to, to talk with you. Emily, I wanted to start asking you, I was uh, reading a little bit about your, your journey and I saw that uh, when you were younger, you went to live in Argentina to teach English, right? I did, yeah. I, I, I just wanted to ask you, like, how was, how was that experience? What were you doing in, in Argentina? Yeah, it was, I mean, it was really wonderful. I was so um, excited to have the opportunity. When I was in college, I really wanted to study abroad, um, but because I had transferred schools, I was trying to make up credits and it just didn't seem possible to go abroad and also graduate on time. And I also wanted more of an immersive experience in another country. I didn't want to just be like a, a college student, you know, hanging out with other college students who are American. I wanted to be um, really living in a new city, a new place and experiencing it um, in that way. So when I had graduated, um, I at the time spoke very good Spanish, uh, not so much anymore. Um, I but I... <laughs> 
<laughs> it's pretty poor. Uh, <laughs> but um, maybe maybe I'll take some classes again. You know, I took Spanish in um, elementary school, high school, all the way through college, and um, then wanted that immersive experience. Um, so I. Uh, and all, but I also needed a job. I couldn't just sort of go and live somewhere. So I um, took an English teaching course and uh, flew down to Buenos Aires and spent um, six months there or a little under six months um, teaching English and um, living uh, the city life and just absolutely loved pretty much every minute of it. It was, it was really wonderful. Buenos Aires is beautiful. So beautiful. beautiful, yeah. And where were where were you teaching? Where were you giving these classes? So uh, most of the classes were um, sort of like contract. So I would um, I worked with a couple different t companies, and I was teaching adults. Um, it, it was a little harder to get a job teaching in a school. You needed kind of like a certain permit um, or degree, and I didn't have that at the time. So I was teaching adults who wanted to use English for business or for travel. And I would teach classes most of the afternoon at different offices around the city. Um, and I, I did, obviously didn't have a car. Um, so I walked a lot of the city. I, I saw so many different places that, you know, tourists might not get to um, and really got to immerse myself in the city life that way. It was, it was really fun. That is amazing. And why Argentina? Why, why did you pick Buenos Aires? Yeah, I had some uh, friends who had gone there uh, for study abroad and really loved it. Um, I think I was excited just by the um, the the sort of like metropolitan aspects of the city. I've always really loved cities. Um, I loved how vibrant um and exciting they are and i wanted to be in a place where um i could walk easily and you know kind of learn the city in and out so i had had people recommend uh specifically buenos aires to me and i we also had a family friend um this woman rita who had grown up in argentina um she had um been very active with um the abuelas who were uh, trying to find the, the children who had been disappeared or the parents who had been disappeared during um, the time of conflict. And she, she was really immersed in the history and the political activism um, in Argentina. And she really connected me with a part of the city that again, I think most tourists didn't have like access to or didn't dive into, um, but she was really, um, she really helped me immerse myself in in that world. That's such a nice experience. How old were you when when you went there? I was uh, I just turned twenty two, um, so still very young, and um, but you know, uh, very excited to be in a new place and um, and kind of like getting to know myself for the first time in a way. Um, you know, I think especially in America, college students are are kind of coddled. You Um, you have this very sort of like um, uh, very coddled experience where everything, you know, meals are provided for you in school and, you know, you have your classes and you don't have to do too much to sort of, I mean, for the average American college student, I know it's certainly um, there, not everyone has that experience or has that level of privilege, but um, 
you know, going to someplace on my own where I didn't really know anybody, you know, even though I had made connections through Rita and, um, and her friends, I didn't really know anyone personally that well. And I had to kind of make my own way and, um, and get comfortable also being on my own, you know, walking again through the city by myself often. Um, and so it was a really formative experience for me to, learn a lot about myself and what I liked personally versus sort of like what I'd been taught to enjoy or what, you know, my um, friends before that had been wow. into. I, I really, I really like it. I, I love uh, Argentina. I've been to Buenos Aires and Cordoba. I went oh, yeah. to, I was 15 years old. So I went to, to play soccer. I went to play a tournament with my high school, cool. I remember. Uh, so we went like two weeks with my friends from high school to just play soccer there and just like go to all the stadiums and all that. For me, it was more like a more touristy thing. Yeah. Uh, but I loved it. I, I fell in love with, with Argentina. I would love to, to go back at some point. Yeah. Yeah. Me too. It was such an interesting time to be there. I was there in um, 2007. And um, it was not too long after the economic collapse that had happened in 2001. And so the city was sort of, and the country was really kind of getting back on its feet again. Um, and so it was a really interesting time to be there. Um, and I'd love to go back now and see, you know, what it's like. Um, I think it, there more and more tourists have gone. So I hope, I don't know how much it's changed or, you know, um, but, it, but it was, it was so much fun. And um, just the, you know, the architecture and the food and the music and the All street the life. Yeah. 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 So vibrant. It's amazing. And I think that for me being like a soccer fan, it's an amazing city for, for that. Yeah. It's crazy about soccer there. So it's like almost like a religion there. So it's, uh, it was very fun to see, to experience all that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I didn't make it to a soccer game when I was there, but I heard <laughs> that they're pretty uh, in, intense experiences. Yeah, they are pretty, pretty intense. I wanted to yeah. ask you what, what, um, what is one of your favorite memories that you have from from your time in Argentina? Oh, that's a good question. Um, so I always think about, you know, again, I said, like, I walked through the whole city, well, not the whole city, but I, I walked quite a bit of it. Um, and one of my favorite walks to do was actually through my um, neighborhood. So I lived uh, pretty close to the Plaza Italia, which is a like a very sort of... Um, popular neighborhood at this point. Um, it's kind of got an old world feel to it. Um, uh, and it's like, you know, uh, really beautiful streets and beautiful um, old buildings and lots of little shops. And there was this one really beautiful bookshop that had um, part of it was covered in a glass ceiling where like there were tables and chairs inside, sort of like an atrium space. And so you would walk into the bookshop and then you could go to the cafe and then sit in this like um, covered but very bright and light space and drink your coffee and listen to, at the time, you know, there were CDs. It seems like, what's a CD <laughs> these days? But at the time they had like a CD listening booth where you could um, choose 
music that you wanted and they would play it for you. And then you could decide if you wanted to buy that CD. And so I would, you know, bring my notebook or my laptop and, um, and do some work or, you know, write some emails to friends and, um, listen to some new music and then maybe buy that CD. Um, and it was just such a wonderful, like experience to be kind of on my own in this really interesting and cosmopolitan place. Um, and yeah, I loved it so much. I, I kind of think about lovely. Yeah, I know if I, if I ever open a bookshop, which is kind of a fantasy of mine, I want it to be like pretty much exactly like this bookstore. So <laughs> maybe I'll have to go back down and do some research and, and visit it. That's that's amazing. And was this place like, did you just go when there like one time or it was a place that you were going often? I went pretty often. I probably went like at least twice a week. Um, I mean, and the other wonderful thing I loved about being there, and this was, you know, unique to my ex experience, but I'm sure other people have had similar experiences. Um, I lived in this apartment that was a converted hostel. Um, and so there were many different rooms, but it was, you know, it's a more of a long-term apartment. And I lived with people from all over, all over the world, South America, Europe, um, North America. Um, and, uh, we, uh, it was just like a very, um, multicultural experience and we, everyone spoke different languages and, um, I got to learn a lot about, you know, just different people in the world. Um, and it was really fun and, and interesting. And everyone sort of had like different interests that they brought to the table. Um, and we had this pretty cool, kind of like old and rickety, but, but you know, it was fine. Um, roof deck. <laughs> um, it probably wasn't like up to any code, but, um, but it was <laughs> beautiful roof deck. And we had like, we always had people over um, and would have these big dinners together um, and everyone would cook a little something. Um, so it was a really communal experience as well. And, um, you know, my first real kind of like adult living on my own, you know, again, not sort of in the, the college bubble experience where, um, where I was kind of finding myself and meeting, meeting great people. I love that. I love that. Sorry. So because you, you grew up uh, in Boston, right? You, yeah. you grew up here in, in, in Boston. So you yeah. went to school, to college in Boston University. Is that correct? Yeah. So technically I grew up in Cambridge, which, you know, we don't like to be called Boston necessarily. <laughs> <laughs> I apologize. I apologize. No, no. <laughs> we're, Cambridge is its own city, you know. Um, no, but we're... <laughs> Um, so I grew up in Cambridge and I actually went to college for a year and a half in Connecticut, um, which, you know, not too far away, but then transferred to Boston University. And so I was pretty close to home, but I was on the other side of the river and I could kind of have my own college world, but then maybe still bring my laundry back home on the weekends <laughs> um, or borrow my parents' car if we wanted to go somewhere. So, yeah, 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 yeah. it's yeah. This this brings me up to the, to my next question that I have, and um, since you probably since before you were born, right? Cambridge Naturals already existed, and yeah. you grew up with uh, in in this world of the uh, natural product space and uh, having like a natural product store. Um, how was it like to to grow in in a space like that? 
Yeah, it was um, it was definitely unique and different. Um, <laughs> I don't I didn't at the time have many friends who really uh, had similar experiences. I think you know when we talk about natural products today. They're so ubiquitous, like they're everywhere. You can buy kombucha at the gas station. You know, you can find healthy foods um, on every corner. And that's really wonderful. I mean, I think that's ultimately a really good thing. Um, but when I was growing up and, you know, even before I was born, when my my parents started the store in 1974 and I was born a little over a decade later, 12 years after that, um, and uh or sorry 11 years after that <laughs> math is incorrect um uh, i was born in 85 um and uh so my parents started the store you know it was definitely the 70s there was a, a sort of back to the land movement um the organic movement was was growing but there really wasn't like a um it really wasn't available on a commercial level natural products or natural foods um uh, at least a wide scale. And when I was born and when I was growing up, you know, it was still a very counterculture um, thing to eat sort of healthy natural foods. Most of my friends ate like Wonder Bread sandwiches with turkey and mayo and, um, you know, their potato chips for snack. And they would have their like fruit roll up thing in their lunch. And I always really wanted to share or swap lunches, but nobody, <laughs> nobody wanted to swap lunches with me because I always had, you know, like um, sprouted whole grain bread with almond butter or, um, you know, uh, brown rice with black beans and carrots. And it was just like, not cool. Um, I often had like seaweed in my lunchbox, um, things that were not um, that might be actually normal or familiar to a lot of cultures, but not to Cambridge in the night, you know, not to this like world that I uh, was in, in, in public school in the 1990s. So I, mean, uh, I, I can totally yeah. relate to that because when, oh, when yeah? I was a kid, I remember that uh, my mom used to send us like also like, like lunchbox. And I remember that a lot of my friends, in the high school, that, in the in the primary school that I was going, they were they would just like get some snacks and some food in the, in yeah. the bar of high school. So it was also like uh, chips, like brown chips or like hot dogs or this type of stuff. And I remember that there were days that my mom used to send me uh, hard boiled eggs, and I hated oh, yeah. it. Like I hated it because I knew <laughs> I knew that as soon as I opened my lunchbox, yeah, everybody was smelling.
the odd kid in my elementary school. Um, so yeah, I resonate with your <laughs> hard boiled egg. I got a lot of egg, you know, things as well. Um, I, and I know that. Yeah. And, and the, I, to be honest, like I loved the food. I actually really enjoyed eating it. It was just being the kid that was different than everyone else. That feeling yeah. is always hard, but yeah, I, I think more, yeah. more when, when you're a kid, this, this feeling, yeah, it's, I, I, I can, I can understand that. And yeah, from, from this period, I, I wanted to ask you, uh, what are some of like your favorite stories from, from this period in your life? Yeah. Well, kind of on that vein, you know, um, one story that I often tell is, um, so my, one of my best friends growing up, her mother, we all went to, for a day to, um, the pond and my parents, um, uh, my parents were friends with her parents. So we were all there together. And then there was like a ice cream truck that showed up to offer snacks, you know, to sell snacks at the pond. And, um, the ice cream truck sold like confections, but also like snacks and chips and things like that. And uh, my friend's mother, I think, took pity on me and, you know, knew that my parents wouldn't buy me the fun treat. So she bought me and her daughter each like a little tiny bag of Doritos, like as a treat. I don't even think that they ate Doritos too commonly like at home, but it was like we were out on a fun day and um, bought me these chips. And my dad was walking up from the pond and I like tried to hide them because I knew he was going to overreact <laughs> and, um, and I was right. So when he got to the top of the hill and saw me, you know, probably covered in like orange Dorito cheese and <laughs> hiding, trying to hide my bag he lost it and um, started kind of yelling at my friend's mother again, who was also his friend and was like, I can't believe you bought my daughter Doritos. That's like me buying your daughter heroin. And <laughs> oh <my God. laughs> like total overreaction. And I didn't actually, I don't even think I knew what heroin was at the time. It was just like, dad, please don't, you know, make, make this embarrassing for oh me. My God. Um, and he's since, uh, relaxed quite a lot, you know, um, I mean, he still wouldn't want me to be eating Doritos necessarily, but he has, <laughs> like, he, he was just very, I think it was hard at that time for him to, like, um, li live and promote the lifestyle that he was, he and my mom held around, you know, when people didn't really understand it or weren't into the same things. And I think, he felt like he had to be way more vocal back then about it um, and uh, way more strict. <laughs> so. That's a funny story. I, I love Michael. He's, a, he's yeah. such a funny guy. And it's so good to, to speak with him. I love every time yeah. that I get to, to talk with him. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I, I was going to tell you, like, I, I've seen him and I think now he's pretty, pretty much more relaxed. Yeah, <laughs> than, oh, than for that. sure. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Hey, just a quick pause for a message from Waku and we will be right back to the interview. We are very excited to let everyone know we've just launched Waku's crowdfunding equity campaign through Republic, a platform that allows anyone to invest in private startups like Waku. Waku is now part of a very exclusive group of highly vetted startups from Republic and now you can become an investor of Waku starting with investments as small as $100. 
If you'd like to learn more about why to invest in Waku and why this is such a great investment opportunity, you can go to republic.co forward slash Waku. That's R-E-P-U-B-L-I-C dot C-O forward slash W-A-K-U. We will be thrilled to have you join us in our journey to bring to the world the most refreshing herbal tea with gut health benefits and help to create impact in the livelihoods of hundreds of Ecuadorian farmers. Let's get back to the show. I think this is a this is a good segue for my next question, and it was um, so your parents owning Cambridge Naturals, and I know that you have uh, more siblings, right? Yeah, I do. Were you? Did you always knew that you were gonna be in charge of Cambridge Naturals? Like when you, whenever you were growing up or in college, did you know like okay, I'm gonna take charge of the store at some point or or when did that happen um you know i i always loved the store i i worked there as a kid you know once i was sort of of eligible age to to work um i worked there as a teenager and in in high school and in college um and i as a kid like as a younger child would spend a lot of time there after school um the store was always, we like to say, the store was always the first child in my family. Um, so even though I do have older siblings, it's like the store is the oldest sibling um, and probably the most needy of all of us. Um, but I, 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 I wanted to be involved somehow, but I pursued other things after college or in college. And then afterwards, I wanted to um, explore different career opportunities. And it wasn't really until I started to think about business as a force for um, change in the world and how businesses could be catalysts that I started to really realize the impact that my parents' very small business had actually had on its local community and then also on the industry and, you know, um, uh, on sort of a wider scale than I think is always visible when you think about just like the square footage and and the brick and mortar um, element of the store, it's hard to like think of it as having this big impact, but it's been around for so long. So many people have been impacted, hopefully, you know, positively by the by Cambridge Naturals. And, um, and we hear stories like that all the time, you know, people who love the store, people who've changed their lives because they've found certain products that really work for their health needs at the store um, or certain people who've been really influenced to adopt a more healthy and sustainable lifestyle by being around the store. So I started to think of it as like this catalyst for change. Um, and it was a really exciting opportunity um, to me when, when I was in my uh, mid-20s, I went back to grad school to go to business school, and that's where I really started making this connection. And it was kind of around the same time that my parents were saying, you know, we're we're getting older, we're probably heading, well, they would never use the word retirement, but <laughs> we're probably, you know, maybe we want to work a little less or something. Um, and so Caleb and I, my, my husband Caleb and I, uh, started talking about that possibility and it seemed like, wow, what an amazing opportunity and honestly a privilege that not everyone gets the chance to have, you know, to walk into an existing business with so much um, 
opportunity and be able to to affect change in that way. Um, so it was kind of an opportunity we couldn't pass up. That is great. And what do you think made this shift for you uh, regarding business? Like, what was it uh, only seeing all these all these uh, interactions that your parents had and the, all, all the impact that the store was having? Or was there something else in your life, like either in college or like a book? What was the thing that made you start seeing businesses as, as these? Because I, I really agree with that, with that statement that you made. And I love, I think that's one of the things that I love about entrepreneurship and businesses is that if done correctly, they have such potential to create impact and create change. So I love that. And, and, and for you, what, what was the thing that, that made you start seeing the businesses in this way? Yeah, it, it was for me, actually, it was really catalyzed by reading Michael Pollan's book, The Omnivore's Dilemma. Um, and I had actually, when I was in Argentina, a friend of mine gave me this copy, which was, it had been like sitting out in the rain. So it had kind of gotten like all waterlogged and was like all warped. And, um, but I, I took it and I started reading it and I actually kept reading it after I had left Argentina. And, um, I, I actually ended up moving from Argentina. I moved to Taiwan and was teaching English, um, in Taipei for a, almost a year. And I, was reading this book and thinking like, wow, so The Omnivore's Dilemma, if you're not familiar with it, um, is about sort of the rise of our industrial food system in America and how we went from a very different model of like farming and agriculture and, um, and foodways to this very industrialized model that is... Um, not very healthy and not very sustainable um you know from a certainly from a climate perspective and also from like a farm worker perspective um it's really um detrimental to the health of farm workers and and their you know and the dangerous jobs and un poorly paid jobs and um so it really started shifting how i even though i had grown up in this world and kind of like knew these things um it started shifting my really my awareness of like how embedded like our food system was with these giant corporations and how they had decided we were going to eat or, you know, consume um, uh, really processed foods. And um, then I moved back to the U.S. I started working for a nonprofit that was focused on um, like business practices, sustainability and business practices, um, local food systems. And, uh, and I really loved that work. I wasn't thrilled overall with just like the nonprofit world. Um, I, I really liked the work we were doing, but I felt like it was a really tough job in the nonprofit world, at least, you know, again, a very privileged position, but just from a day-to-day -day perspective, I was getting pretty worn out by the work. Um, And, but I ended up moving to Portland actually to be with uh, my now husband, Caleb. Um, and I worked for another nonprofit there. But at that point, I was kind of starting to think like that business actually, you know, for profit business actually was a little bit more or a lot more nimble, um, could make change happen pretty quickly, um, wasn't sort of beholden to like the grant process that nonprofits are. Um, kind of locked into the grant and donor process, and that there was a lot more opportunity there to 
have an impact. And that was very enticing to me. But yeah, it kind of all comes from that original uh, opportunity to read that book. I love that. I'm going to read that book. I've heard about uh, Michael Holland, you said, right? Yeah, exactly. I've heard about other books from him, but I'm going to read this. It sounds very, uh, very, very interesting book. And and I love this because I, I... I agree a hundred percent with what with all what you just said, and I think that for me, uh, maybe it was not that that similar because I never worked in a in a ONG or in a nonprofit. Um, but I remember that before starting Waku, um, we were uh, we always wanted to create a company that could allow us to to make impact in Ecuador, right? Uh, yeah. But we didn't really know what was the impact that we were trying to make. So so when we started Waku, we made a, this road trip through the Andes Mountain where we were searching for the for the formula of Waku and just like trying all the different recipes and all. But also we, we used that trip a lot to just to speak with the, with the farmers and speak with them and just like try to understand uh, what were the needs that they were having? Because at the beginning, we, we were thinking we were gonna have a model where we were gonna partner up with a nonprofit uh, yeah. that maybe can help uh, in education for the farmers or, or giving clothes to the farmers. Because like seventy percent of the farmers in Ecuador live under the poverty line, so there's yeah. a lot of needs and, and a lot of people. It's like undernourished, so there's there's a lot of a lot of problems. And in this search, we. At least that was like like the experience that we had, and we realized that the best impact we can we can we could make at least at the stage that we currently are as a, as a young startup and not having like all the resources in the world. Uh, I, I remember very clearly talking with with one of our first farmers that we started to work with, um, and we were asking him like, "What what do you think you need? Like, what do you think your community needs?" And he basically just told us like, uh, "We just need to be able to." partner up with serious companies and with companies that are not going to exploit us because he was yeah. like, I, I, we, we love what we do and, and uh, we know that we have very high quality products, but at, at, that, at that point, like how, how the system works there in Ecuador, I'm not sure if it's similar in, here in the US, but farmers have to sell to middlemen. It's like, because this is like a village that's literally in the middle of the Andes Mountains that access right. it's like very hard. So they don't have a lot of like trucks that go in there. So once a week, there comes like a, just like a big truck to the main plaza of, of this small village. And this like, this, uh, this is a middleman that buys all the crops that, they, that he wants to buy from the farmers. Let's say they buy the things at 10 cents and then they go to the market in the city and they resell it at $1. Uh, so wow. they, pay, they pay the farmers like a tenth of the real market wow. for, their, for their crops. And, a lot of times he was telling us, like, like um, sometimes these people tell us, like, oh, they're going to buy, let's say, 100 uh, pieces of corn. Uh, and then they come and they just buy 20 from us. And then we are stuck with, we get stuck with, like, 80 and all of that. It's just like we have to either eat it ourselves or it goes to waste. Wow. Uh, so they, they get, like, taken advantage of. And, like, a lot of times this happens. So um, he was, like, thank you for thinking that, like, trying to bring other things, but to be honest, we just like want to make sure that we start to work with you. You are not going to do this to us. Uh, yeah. So, so that was like when, when we saw kind of like, like a click and, and it made sense for us and we were like, okay, as 
the way that we're going to help them is like as we keep growing as a company, we can just keep working with more with more farmers and, and just like cutting out that middleman and just paying them the, the real market prices. Um, and of course, right now we're still we're not still as big as we want to someday be. But yeah. it, it's been very nice to see that, like like as you said, like the impact that you can make. Um, you you have to start at something, right? And probably right now the impact that we're making is a small small scale, but uh, you, you just have to keep going and keep growing and, and, and be consistent. I think that's why I think Cambridge Natural is such an inspiration for us as a as a company uh, because you can see how even probably it's not like the, the biggest store in Boston, but you can really sense all the huge impact that that Cambridge Naturals has had. Uh, even like ourselves as a company, and, um, I am sure that so much people has been impacted. So I, I really loved what you what you just said, Emily. Thank yeah, no, that. I thank you, Nico, and and also like I I'm so glad that that's been your experience in working with us. I think that um, I uh, that's 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 the whole thing for us. Like that's that's the entirety of what matters is that we're having some positive impact on our local and our global community. And even though, as you said, like we're not the biggest store in Boston, we're obviously not like a national or even regional chain, um, but if we can help be part of the success of Waku, then that's having an impact in places we, we couldn't even imagine connecting with you know we we don't have like personal partners in ecuador or relationships with those farmers so we rely on working with really great companies who who get it who have partners on the ground in areas that um uh you know need that support and need that those opportunities and it's our absolute privilege to be able to make those connections and then help people in our local area understand the impact of that too. Um, and that that's like, honestly, what matters to us the most um, and all the other stuff that kind of gets in the way, you know, like day-to-day -day running of a business and all the ups and downs and um, especially in a pandemic. Um, but like at the end of the day, that's really what matters and that's what feels like it's the most valuable reason for doing this and continuing to do this. Um, I so I, I really appreciate you saying that. Yeah, I really love that. And for people that's listening and, and it's from the, the Boston, Cambridge area, you have to make sure to visit the store. It's such an amazing store. Like I, and, and it's very cool because you know that everything that you will buy, every item in the store, has been very well curated and it's very thoughtful. Like there's a reason for those items to be there. Uh, so I, I love you. I love your story. Your story is my favorite story from, from. Oh, stop. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, thank you. Thank you. I appreciate so, that. Uh, Emily, now I'm bringing back a little bit to the story of like when you were taking uh, uh, the lead there in Cambridge Naturals. How was the transition like? Uh, were your parents like complete? Did they completely stop working for for Cambridge Naturals, and you you just took to cover the place as, a, as the CEO of the company, or no? Yeah, how was the transition? Yeah, it was um, <laughs> it it was um, 
much more complex than that um, and, and still ongoing. Um, <laughs> so when Caleb and I moved back, we, we actually drove back from Portland um, in 2014 and we got married in at the end of August. And then I started work at the store like just a few days after that. Um, so it was a pretty tumultuous time in our lives because we had left our whole group of friends and um, colleagues and business school friends out in Oregon and then um, moved cross country to kind of start this whole new life in a place I hadn't lived in in quite a while. Um, and, and also, you know, I had been doing some marketing work for the store for a few years on a freelance basis, but it had really been a while since I'd been in the store. And um, it was the most important thing to me was to immerse myself in the, you know, what it was like to be in the store day to day as an employee. Um, so I, I worked quite a lot that first year, especially, um, you know, a lot of putting in a lot of overtime hours. And it was sometimes it was really challenging. You know, I, I came in and a lot of the staff team really embraced me and made me feel very welcome and, um, you know, really helped me um, become, again, like sort of immersed in the store and, and learn the systems from, from scratch. Um, and then there were a, a couple people who just like weren't super thrilled that, you know, the daughter was returning and, um, and I, I totally get it. You know, I think um, it, it's like if, if you've been working in a place for a little while and someone new comes in, especially if you don't know sort of like their background or like, or have their, um, uh, have sort of like insight into that, it can be a little like, what are they doing here? And, um, and why do they deserve to work here and, you know, and take on this responsibility? Um, so, so I understood, but it was also, it was a bit tumultuous there for the first year. Um, and, uh, it culminated with me breaking my elbow at the end of that year. <laughs> and I was like, okay. <laughs> yeah. I actually, um, I it was wearing these like really like flimsy sandals and just like slipped down these stone steps um, in Somerville and like just fell and kind of like braced myself with my hands. But my elbow went one way and my arm <laughs> went the other way. <laughs> So <laughs> it was kind of like the perfect cap to a uh, exciting and tumultuous year. Um, but, you know, one thing that was really wonderful from the get-go was that my parents embraced me and Caleb. You know, Caleb started out not working immediately in the store, but then he eventually got pretty involved and, and now is very heavily involved. But um, they really embraced us and the ideas that we were bringing from our business school education, the ideas we were bringing from previous work environments and, you know, and just some like fresh and new ideas we had for running the store. And they really gave us an opportunity to put our own spin on things, even though they were still very heavily involved at the time. Um, and they have slowly transitioned out. You know, I think they um, we moved back and we kind of made it fun for them again <laughs> so then they were like oh wait we're not leaving anytime soon <laughs> and we were like wait a second um but uh but it, you know over the last few years it's been really fun to work alongside both of them um in their different roles and in 
largely due to the pandemic, they've both kind of stepped out for even further than they had. And it's really, they've really stepped out of largely the day-to-day and even, even sort of like oversight, um, but are still involved in an advisory capacity. They still, like we run ideas by them all the time. We run big decisions by them and they participate and bring their wisdom of 47 years of running this business to all the things that we're doing. So I, I value working with them so much um, and having their, their wisdom and guidance um, in our back pocket at all times. I mean, it's, it's pretty wonderful, but yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I, I can, I can see how challenging it could have been these, these transition for not only for you, but also for all the Cambridge naturals and stuff. Uh, totally. Yeah, and um, this brings me up to my to my next question, and is uh, so far, uh, what has been one of the biggest challenges that you faced, either in your personal life or in your journey of like uh, taking the lead here in Cambridge Naturals? Yeah, well, um, <laughs> if I'm gonna get really really honest. Um, the biggest challenge that Caleb and I have both been facing over the last um, six years, to be honest, is um, is that we've been going through an infertility journey. Um, we have been trying to have kids for about six years now and um, gone through uh, different fertility treatments, including IVF. Um, we're sort of still in that journey, but we took a big break after... Um, I had a miscarriage uh, back in twenty early twenty nineteen, and you know, yeah, thank you. Um, it it has re- it's been the hardest thing that I've ever um, dealt with as a person. You know, the grief and the um, the sense of the loss and um, sort of the <laughs> the existential crises that naturally follow that experience. Um, but it, I think it has also, I hope, um, helped me, I mean, not to like put a put a nice spin on it or put a bow on it, but like it really honestly has led me to grow a lot as a person, I believe, um, and to have a lot more empathy for different people on their journeys, wherever they're at, and sort of the challenges that we all face as humans, you know, um, I've friends who've lost loved ones, you know, especially in the last year, but even before that, um, family members. Um, and I have, um, I have a lot of empathy now that I think I didn't have, or a lot of capacity for empathy that I don't think I had as much of, uh, six years ago and sort of an understanding of, of the human journey in a deeper way. Um, and I think that that has, honestly helped me be a, a better leader um uh in in many ways so um yeah thank you so much for sharing that emily yeah, it, i i don't think i can understand all how hard that was for you it's, uh, it's such a such a uh, thank you so much for for telling that story and i wanted to ask you uh, so during these uh, these periods and, and if, if, of course if you were, uh, would be able uh, would be willing to share like 
what do you think helped you to just like kind of like I, I, I won't say like just keep going but uh, if like anybody that meets you you are such a joyful person and, and you're always such have, have such a good energy and, and uh, you can sense all the all the happiness that uh, that you live with and um, I wanted to ask you like what what do you think has helped you do you have like any any recommendation for somebody that's that's going through something like this what what helped you during this this journey yeah um that's a really great question and um i mean i think it was many different things but i i think that early on in the journey i was pretty um private about it you know i wanted to kind of keep it close to just Caleb and I, we weren't sharing with too many people what we were going through. Some of it was frankly due to feelings of shame. You know, I had lots of friends who seemed to be able to like, just, you know, spin around and all of a sudden <laughs> be pregnant and have a baby and then maybe have one more. And, um, and it felt, I, it felt, it was really hard. You know, I, I, again, like, this is just super honest. Like I've gone through feelings of like shame or like, do I not deserve this? Is there something wrong with me? You know, did I, did I do something bad in a past life that means I'm not worthy of this? And going through all of that shame on my own, um, or that sort of like grief and, and private feelings on my own was so overwhelming and so difficult. And I think did actually impact how I was able to like open myself up to people or, or be, be close to people. Um, but I finally kind of broke down or maybe got to like a, a low enough point that I realized I really needed to open up and share with people around me, people I was close to, but even people I didn't know that well, just because like, I didn't want to have this thing that was affecting my life on such a like, deep level on a daily basis, you know, because like, when you're going through IVF, you're like, having to give yourself or your, you know, your partner give you shots all the time and you're feeling like up and down and it's, it's a pretty intensive process. Um, so I, I didn't feel like I could keep it inside anymore. And I started very slowly sharing it with people I trusted. And then, as I said, sharing it maybe with other people on kind of a need to know basis. And every time I did, you know, I was kind of expecting people to like look down on me or, or like, I don't even know, but I was really nervous. And when I did start opening up, not only did I not have anyone, you know, like look down on me or, or like treat me weirdly, but honestly, people were so kind and warm and generous with their love and care. And people I didn't even know that well were just like so effusive. And also I started to learn so many stories of other people who had gone through similar experiences and it it kind of made me realize how little I knew again about like the journeys that each person was on you know again it might not be the exact same journey um or it might not be the exact same type of experience but I learned about so many different people's loss and grief and messiness of life and um 
it really helped me to just start opening up and being more honest about what we are going through. And then like to read and, and learn the stories of other people, even though, even though I didn't want anyone else to be suffering, like I didn't want to, I didn't want them to be suffering uh, in any way. It did help me to understand the the struggles that other people had gone through um, and not feel so alone. Yeah, I can, that's, that's amazing. And I, I think there is so much power in, in, in these, in, in having like this community and being able to uh, have the courage to, to open up because I think it, it does take a lot of, a lot of courage to just like start sp speaking about the things that just like uh, are super hard for you to, to experience as yourself. So I, I, I really like that. Thank you so much. Uh, Thank you so much for sharing that, Emily. Um, yeah, for in, sure. In, in this process, so there is this uh, very useful tool that's uh, just being able to open up to, to talk about it. I, I think um, it makes me think of also uh, whenever I, it, it's a bit different, but whenever I, I am meditating and I am uh, experiencing like, like, I don't know, some very difficult thought or very difficult emotion, a lot of times just uh, nodding it or just like acknowledging it and just like either putting it on paper or talking it out kind of like takes away the power from that emotion, totally. from that feeling, right? Uh, totally. So, so yeah, I, I think that's, that's very powerful. And um, besides these uh, uh, powerful things, because I, I, this cathartic thing of, of talking with people, do you have any other practices that that you that you do in your day to day that can help you uh, deal with all, all all these feelings? Because I know that, as you said, is is a journey, right? And probably some days can be harder than other days. Um, do you have any other other tools or or, or habits that you that you do? Or you feel yeah. Like yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and I love what you said about, you know, when you put something down on paper or you say it out loud, it kind of, especially with negative things, kind of helps lose its power. I think that's really um, been really true for me. I, one of my, so I'm, I'm terrible at the like sort of um, typical form of meditation. <laughs> I have a very um, overactive mind and I find that like, I've never been successfully able, despite trying all kinds of different times and ways to like just sit down and meditate. Um, and, but I know that it has tremendous value and I really admire people who, who can do it um, and want to know their secret <laughs> to doing it. But um, for me, and actually I've, I've learned that this is for me a meditative practice. I am such a walker. I mean, I walk everywhere I can, um, as much as I can. Um, and I, I, this is another thing I sort of learned from my dad. My dad is a really active walker. Um, you know, if he doesn't get out for a walk every, pretty much every day, he's a much grumpier person. <laughs> you can ask my mom about that. <laughs> She'd probably agree. Um, but, uh, I'm, I'm pretty much the same, you know, Caleb, I went out for a long walk the other day, and when I got back, Caleb was like, oh, yeah, you're 
so much more relaxed than you were. He's like, I can always tell when it's been a little too long between walks for you. <laughs> um, so, so walking is my form of meditation. And I, I find that I, even though I'm still thinking a lot while I'm walking, you know, I'm not sort of doing the more traditional, like trying to calm my thoughts. Um, it, it kind of becomes that over time for me. Like I stop having racing thoughts and sort of scattered thoughts. And it's a much more calm and um, focused uh, thought process. And I often come up with like, you know, some of my best either ideas or thoughts or hopes or dreams, like while I'm walking, um, maybe I should carry a paper and pen so that I can write them down. I was, <laughs> but, I was about to ask you, like when you go for these yeah. walks, um, do you go and, and like, are you listening to music or to anything or are, are you without any technology? How, how, how are these, these walks that you, that you take? Yeah. Sometimes I listen to podcasts. Um, and you know, in that case, sometimes I'm listening to something, but then I'm like having sort of thoughts about it while I'm listening. So even though I'm paying attention, I'm sort of in my own world as well. Um, and sometimes I just try to walk without any, any listening to anything just so I can kind of like enjoy my surroundings and be really present. Um, and I find that I always just notice like amazing things when I'm walking, you know, like when I'm, if I'm driving somewhere, I'm just trying to get from point A to point B, like as quickly as possible. But when I'm walking, it's, I mean, not to sound cheesy, but like, it's really about the journey, not about the point A to point B. Um, and you, I see like people's amazing gardens along the way or a new business that I didn't realize was there or like something funny. And um, it always sparks some, something for me, which I really love. Um, and, you know, I try as much as possible also to like cook meals at home. I find that really meditative and creative and, um, and fun and I love sharing meals with people um and also again like uh, the other coping mechanism for me has been working really hard to develop friendships and connections with people strong connections with people I find that that has really helped me um truly feel more more joyous on a daily basis I love that I love that what what is your go-to dish Whenever you want mm. to impress someone. Well, I um I love making roast chicken um in the oven. It's a little too hot today to think about putting something in the in the oven. It's kind of like I'm already overheating thinking of it. Um, but you know, like a in a nice cast iron skillet with maybe some potatoes and like a really delicious salad. Um, and maybe like uh, some nice flavorful spices on the chicken um that's that's my go-to um but i like to explore i love like the new york times cooking app there are so many fun and exciting recipes on there as well um and yeah i love i love making fun and different dishes that i haven't tried before i love that i love that i i, I think one of my favorite things to do it was we were doing this a lot before the pandemic but it was just like hosting once a week. I was living with Juan at that point. I was just like hosting dinners once a week with friends, just like to cook something for them. Uh, yeah, it, it was you a, guys I, had us over. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now I think uh, with, with all the vaccines and now it's going to be yeah. easier to, to start doing those dinners again. So I would yeah. love to, to have you and Caleb over 
somebody said yeah we had so much fun that one time we came over and you cooked us dinner um it was just really uh so much fun to see your home and see and you know hang out with you guys in a uh really relaxed way i give my one go-to dish to try to impress people that my <laughs> you did you impressed us we, we loved it <laughs> i'm glad you liked it i'm glad you liked it emily thank you so much for for this conversation it was very uh was amazing i, I really enjoyed it uh, i think one of the main things that i take from uh from our conversation today is that is this power of just opening up yourself and having that courage because I think that me personally I have a, normally a hard time on doing this and I'm not sure if it's the same here in the US but uh, me growing up in Ecuador it's a very like macho culture and like kind of like you're not allowed you're not kind of like allowed to just like be talking a lot about your feelings and just like if you are feeling bad you just like you have to brush it off and then just like keep going. So I think growing up with that, not, not knowing a lot how to talk about feelings uh, has made it uh, challenging for me now that uh, just like being able to, to speak out uh, how, how am I feeling. So uh, I think it's an important uh, thing to be doing and to just like start to become better and having the courage to just be more vulnerable, I think, because I think that's, Probably the thing that, that I would be scared of is just like showing yourself being vulnerable. It's something, it, it's, it's something scary, I think. So thank yeah. you for sharing your, your story. No, absolutely. And thank you for, for sharing that as well. And I, I really appreciate that. I think, um, too many of us have been scared for too long to be vulnerable with each other. And it's like really, part of the human journey to open up and, and build community with each other. And um, it, it certainly builds a sense of like safety and trust when you can be vulnerable with each other um, and really helps deepen connections. So um, I, thank you for sharing that with me as well. And, and thank you um, for inviting me to be on this podcast. It was really no, fun. Such, such a pleasure, Emily. And uh, to finish up our conversation in, is there anything you would like to share with the with the audience? Any new projects from Cambridge Naturals that you would love for people to check out? Sure. Well, um, you can find us on Instagram at, at Cambridge Naturals. Um, we're on the web at cambridgenaturals.com. Uh, we got some fun new crew neck sweatshirts with um, our old. I won, I won one of yeah. them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Have kind of like a retro logo, throwback logo on them. Um, and, uh, but other than that, you know, if you're in the Boston area and you want to come by and check us out, um, please do. And, um, also please grab a Waku from the cooler. Yes. Thank you so much, Emily. And if people wants to connect with you, what's the best way to do that? Yeah. Um, you can send an email. I mean, info at CambridgeNaturals.com. I'm one of the people that gets it. Um, but also just, you know, uh, feel free to reach out on our social media platform. I'm sometimes on there. We have kind of a team that's operating it. But, um, but yeah, you know, just come check out the store. Awesome, Emily. Thank you so much again for being on the show. Um, I'm sure that we're going to be talking soon. Awesome. Thanks, Nico. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye. 
Hello everyone, this is Nico again, and just a few more things before you take off. If you'd like to be part of the Waku tribe to be the first one to know about the launch of exclusive flavors, special promotions, and content about health and wellness, just go to livewaku.com, that's L-I-V-E-W-A-K-U.com, and sign up for our email list. And if you sign up, I hope you enjoy being part of our community.